live. Hi, everybody. This is Michelle, Michelle Jewsbury, correct? Yep. Is that right? Okay. And she is a trauma survivor and advocate for trauma. I don't want to say victims, but people who have gone through trauma. And she's an international speaker. And correct me if I'm wrong, but are you writing or have written a book? Uh, both, both, actually. Both. Okay. Brilliant. And um, we wanted to have you on because of the work you do. You also founded, as we see behind you, Unsilenced Voices. It's a nonprofit. It's based in Florida. Is that correct? Uh, no, we're actually based in the U.S., but work abroad. So okay. uh, both of our work is in Sierra Leone. So you're based in Florida, but your work is abroad. Yes. Brilliant. Okay. So, Michelle, could you start us off with a little bit about you, about your background and where you grew up and how you ended up in Florida and, and, and doing everything that you're doing? Yeah, yeah. So hello, everybody who is watching and who is out there. Um, I'm going to just start from the beginning. So I was born in... Uh, 1983, I'm aging myself right now, uh, but to two amazing parents, you know, awesome, beautiful souls. And my mom and my dad had this fairy tale love. And whenever they would walk down the aisles at a Walmart or go to the store, they giggle and tickle each other. So growing up, I always wanted that fairy tale love for myself. Well, fast forward my life, I graduate high school and I said, hey, I want to do something more with my life. So I decided I will, I'm going to move to Hollywood, California to be a movie star. So that's what I did. And I moved over there and started starring in independent plays and doing films. And my claim to fame is a Papa Murphy's pizza commercial, uh, where you see me for about, I don't know, 10 seconds with keys in my mouth. Uh, but it was my biggest paycheck. So I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Uh, from there, though, I ended up meeting somebody who I thought was going to be my Prince Charming, who I thought was going to live happily ever after with me. And lo and behold, about four months into that relationship, he had pushed me so hard against the wall that my head went through it. I didn't grow up with abuse. I didn't experience domestic violence in the home. I had no idea what I was facing. So when he said he was triggered or I had triggered him or I had done something wrong that made him do that, I believed those lies. So I ended up staying with my abuser and we'll call him Paul for over four years. And during those four years, I experienced all forms of domestic violence, from sexual abuse to physical violence, emotional manipulation, and financial abuse. When I escaped, uh, that was roughly the end of 2015, I began to document my story. I decided to take my power back and sue my abuser for the abuse. We ended up settling out of court, and um, I can't really talk too much about that. But in 2016, I ended up writing and performing a 65-minute solo play about my experience called But I Love Him. People started coming up to me afterwards and telling me their stories of not just domestic violence, human trafficking, sexual abuse, childhood trauma. And that's when I felt a calling from God to do more with my story. 2017, I founded a nonprofit called Unsilenced Voices. And we began in West Africa. So I felt a huge calling to get to the African continent. There was an opportunity for me to go to Ghana. And I ended up flying to Ghana without really knowing anyone and really starting this movement of change. 
From there, we expanded to Sierra Leone where the bulk of our programming still exists. We expanded to Rwanda and last year in the United States in 2022, we gifted over $33,000 to USA survivors. Fast forward a few years in 2019, I wrote my first book, same title as my play, but I love him. And then began speaking and coaching all around the world. Uh, 2020, I was actually stuck in Egypt coming back from Sierra Leone and speaking at the Women's Economic Forum in Egypt. So that was quite interesting during the pandemic. And uh, last year, we launched a book collaboration called Breaking the Silence, Voices of Survivors, where we do a yearly anthology to give survivors an opportunity to share their stories of not just DV, but also trauma. Uh, we have classes and uh, digital courses and live courses, and we hold virtual summits. So we do a, a wide array of different things to really help people overcome the traumas that they've experienced. And it really kind of started with a little seed. So that's a little bit about me. Oh my goodness. What a background. <laughs> so fast. Okay. I wanted to dig in a little bit to understand, help women who are possibly where you were and understand to help them recognize, I'm sure you're very good at this, if it actually is abuse and what, where the line is and at what point they should decide it's not my fault that this person is behaving this way. So what's interesting is some people believe that domestic violence does not include emotional manipulation. And of course it does. So there's really four main factors. Other people say five, uh, but it's emotional manipulation, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and financial abuse, right? So how you can tell if the emotional abuse is actually abuse versus having a fight is if you start fighting what I say below the belt, where you come out of the conversation or out of the argument feeling belittled, feeling not good enough, feeling like your worth was threatened. If you are actually threatened by words where he or she told you that you're just a piece of, you can finish that, or that you would equate to nothing if it wasn't for me, or using other words to diminish your well-being and your yourself, right? Your self-worth. And, and some people have a hard time differentiating between what that abuse looks like versus what an argument looks like. It's healthy to argument in relationships, right? We, we, there's two people living under the same roof and you see each other often. Of course, there's going to be fights or arguments. However, they should never go as far as hitting you where you are bawling your eyes out because you feel like you're not worthy or good enough and that you feel like your life is being threatened. So if those things are happening to you, then you are experiencing emotional abuse and manipulation. If he or she has a Jacqueline Hyde perspective, where out in public, they are happy and loving and, and caring and charismatic, but behind closed doors, they are evil and really horrid to you. That is emotional abuse as well. Um, so you, you start to pay attention to those signs. They start to manipulate you. They say you're amazing, but then they talk about how you shouldn't work and try to isolate you. And then that's when physical violence start to happen. Okay. That's a good line. I think a lot of people haven't heard of that before to 
know that the line would be, I think you would say almost if it starts going to name calling or to tearing you down. Tearing you down for sure. I mean, I know healthy relationships and unfortunately they do name calling, which is not healthy. Um, however, when they start tearing you down, really yeah. kind of picking at who you are, that is very, that is very abusive. So that's the emotional aspect. Yes. Okay. And I think a lot of people would know about the sexual or physical aspect of abuse. Um, but what about the financial? So I remember when I first moved in with my abuser, we'll call him Paul. When I first moved in with Paul, he wanted me to quit my job. And he framed it in a way where he was going to take care of me, where I wasn't going to have to worry about anything. So that he wanted me home so that I could explore different opportunities. However, those opportunities were never anything he wanted me to explore. So he actually forced me to quit my work. He said he would break up with me if I didn't quit my job. And when I did, he took control of everything. He started using our credit cards, which were actually my credit cards, for all of our expenses. He would say that he would pay them and make sure that everything was paid off. However, it never happened that way. I wasn't allowed to have my own money, have my own cash. So he was controlling everything financially for me. I would literally have to depend on him and ask him for money if I wanted to purchase something. That is financial abuse. So it keeps you trapped in that relationship because you feel stranded. You feel like there's there's no place to go because you don't have any financial means. So that is definitely one factor where there's a lot of survivors that stay in those abusive situations because they feel like that they don't have any financial worth um, and you need finances in order to survive. So we're back. We had a little glitch with the internet, but I wanted to tell you a little story about um, a woman that I knew who was a friend of mine. She died some years ago, but she had a, I think worse situation, but similar in that her abuser, who was her husband in that case, restricted her finances a lot. And she had to, I think at one point, like find a nickel somewhere so she could call her mom. She snuck out her window and ran to a payphone and called her mom. And unfortunately, her mom said, well, you married him. Wow. And <laughs> eventually she got out. And she was able to be okay. But um, yeah, I think it's a pattern that a lot of people don't, maybe don't realize. I know on the back of some bathroom stalls, I have seen notifications about, you know, that is a type of abuse. And if, if someone's controlling that, call this number or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's a, a lot of domestic violence that happens that uh, people just are unaware that it is actually domestic violence. So why did you, after all this happened and you, well, first off, how did you decide to extract yourself? What was the moment or was that build up? Uh, well, there were two distinct incidences. The first was when I found out he was having affairs on me. So there's always a breaking point in an abusive relationship and you have to reach that breaking point in order for you to finally escape and eradicate the violence. Um, but I found out he was having affairs and I just kind of lost it. And, uh, he said, why don't you go to LA for a little while and get your head back on straight? And while I was there, then I started to understand how 
how destructive this relationship was. So I never went back to him, but he still controlled me. And finally I was contacted November of 2015 stating that he had put another woman's head through the window in our bathroom. And that's when I was like, all right, I can't continue to do this. I can't continue to talk to him, to allow him to control me. I was very worried about the financial aspect. He controlled me financially. And that's what scared me the most. I thought that he was going to destroy my credit, thought he was going to do all this. And you know what? He did. He did destroy my credit. However, I am still okay. I am flourishing now and my credit is getting back on track. So if you're out there and you're worried about those things, it's better for your well-being to leave than to stay with an abuser just because you're scared of the financial part. And you never had children with him? No, no, we never had kids. Yeah. So I know being um, in Africa will be different than people who are in the States programs that are available and things like that. But for women who are being controlled financially and who do have children, and that would be a massive um, fear is, is the court going to side with him because he had, he can afford, you know, to take care of the children or any of that sort of thing. What sort of resources could they look for or toward to be able to pull out of a situation like that? Before we talk about the judge or the the jury choosing him, what I want you to realize, uh, you as in the audience, is if you are experiencing this type of abuse, document it, right? If there are um, physical bruises, if there if if he hurts the kids in any way, document these situations. The more you contact the police during your relationship, the Uh, more you can prove in court, but document as much as you can. Take pictures, write things down. So when you actually do decide to leave and take those kids with you, then you don't have to worry about him stating that he's going to take everything from you because he won't be able to succeed. Now, what I also did was with my abuser, I would clean the house every morning when he went to work and he'd leave his clothes you know, thrown all around the house. In his pockets, I found cash here and there. So I would hide away cash in my little piggy bank that he didn't know anything about so that when I finally decided to leave, I had some finances to my name so I could pay for gas. I took the vehicle. I, um, In my case, my abuser was paying my car payment out of his um, work bank account. So I made sure to make double payments every month. So when I worked up the courage to break free from that relationship, I still had a vehicle for the next year. It was a car I couldn't afford. I actually had to turn the car back in after that year, but I was able to live for a year. So document everything that you can and make a strategic plan. Don't tell your kids about it. Don't talk to friends who talk to your abuser about it. Make a plan and stick to this plan. And then when you are ready and when it is safe, then leave. That's really smart. That's really smart as well. I just, the I guess the whole plan and everything, but to me, I see, I, I assume 
that just um, getting your mind around the fact that it is even possible to leave because threats are often used for controlling. Is that correct? Well, every single day. Yeah. So he'll threaten you every single day. And it's not just men, but the mass majority of abuse happens from the men. Uh, but yeah, you know, making you believe that you can't find anything better and that you have to stay with him forever. And it's, you know, listening to podcasts like this, right? It's, it's listening to audiobooks. It's, you know, talking to people at your church. It's seeking a therapist. You know, my abuser wanted me to go see a therapist because he thought there was something wrong with me. So when I started going to see the therapist, that's when I started to understand, oh, there's nothing wrong with me, except I'm staying in this abusive relationship. So she, and then he, because I, I went through one very short, and then I have a long-term therapist, a long-time therapist, um, made me realize that, you know, I have the strength to break free and I don't have to put up with this anymore. That That's another level of, of silly telling you that you need the therapy. <laughs> that sort of yeah. thing is happening. Yeah. So you got up the strength, you made the plan, you left. Yes. That's awesome. And then how did you, well, I'm just interested in you finishing that story of how you turned around and found the wherewithal and the spirit to then sue them. So when he was financially controlling me, I initially started looking for attorneys to help me with a common law marriage. See, in the United States, if you're together for a certain period of time and one person takes care of bills and such, then you can go to the judge and say this is common law and he or she, you know, has to pay his part of the bills or has to you know, give alimony or whatever that looks like. So I was searching for that type of an attorney. So I wouldn't be stuck with all of this debt. So when I say debt, he literally left me with a car that I couldn't afford and over $60,000 in credit card debt. So he was destroying my credit. When I started searching for the attorneys, that's when they said, well, this is an abuse case. And that's when I started to say, okay, so what do I do next? And my statute of limitations ran out for a criminal case against him. In the state of California during that time, the statute was two years. I believe since then they have increased that statute, but my statute ran out. So what I did was I found an attorney who found some, some clause to where we could sue him civilly. And that's what we did. Brilliant. That's a really good plan. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, a, it was God's plan. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't know that's what I was going to do. I, I used to sit in the back of church and just cry, just bawl my eyes out. God, I want to do something. God, I don't know what to do. Why is everything like this? Just bawling my eyes out. And I kept hearing him say, wait, and, you know, do nothing and stay. And I'm like, what, why? And then finally, when I received that phone call from that woman, I looked up and I said, so now is this the time? And I just felt a sense of peace. So and that was that was after you'd left? That was after I had left, yeah. Okay. When I when I received the phone call from um the the woman who was assaulted after me. Oh, so she's the one who phoned you. She herself yeah. did. Ah, I thought someone had told you, but she she phoned and said, Good job for leaving. <laughs> Well, it happened a little differently than that, but okay. in, in a nutshell, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was a little bit different than that. So you left, 
And then where did you go after that? So I went back to my godfather when I left and escaped the relationship and, you know, tried to get back into acting and that didn't really happen. Uh, But because I wanted acting so bad, my friends said, why don't you, why don't you try to write a one, one woman show? And I was like, I don't know about that. So I remember showing up at this director's uh, class. Her name was Jessica Lynn Johnson. She and I are very close friends now, but I sat in the very front row with my arms crossed and just very skeptical. And while I was there, I started to feel more relaxed, started to go weekly and then decided, okay, I'm going to jump into this. And because I literally beat myself up on stage and rehearsed that every day for months straight, it helped me to heal because I was able to feel through the pain. And we teach that you have to feel in order to heal. You can't just pop your collar and think everything's fine because your body keeps score. And there is something called adverse childhood experiences. This is specifically talking about the trauma you experience as a young adult or a child. The same thing happens to you though, even as an adult, if you go through something traumatic and you don't face it, you don't talk about it, you don't write about it, you don't express yourself, then it comes out in physical and emotional ailments which is your ACE score. So I, I started to you know, feel through that pain. I was expressing the hurt, the, the sorrow, the turmoil, the, the pain. And uh, because of that, I was able to really break through a lot of the initial challenges and then really move forward, open my, open my eyes, open my mind to what God was calling me to do next. So it was a sort of a self-therapy Without knowing it was going to be that way. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. How long did you perform that? So I was rehearsing uh, all through 2015. I debuted it February 2016 and performed it one one more run in the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which was about six months later. And then I put the script down. I actually haven't picked the script up since. However, I do tell some of those stories from stage as a speaker when I'm talking about my my ex-abusive situation. Wow. Um, I wanted to ask about a phrase you used, ACE score. Uh-huh. What is that? So adverse childhood experience, you can go online and Google it. Oh, just it. The, the acronym. Ah, okay. Yeah, so ACE score. Yeah, you, see, okay. you can go online and um, when, you, when you Google ACE score, it's a free test. I believe it's 11 or 12 questions. I may be incorrect on that. However, it'll score you based off your answers to those questions. And I, I think that if you're a three or four, that's actually considered high. And I was closer to a six. So with your A score being that high, in order for you not to have these physical and emotional ailments, you really have to learn expression and really have to learn healthy coping mechanisms. So really for me, it was, you know, the theater therapy, the non-traditional modality of expressing myself from stage. And then from there, it was me seeking therapy and talking to my therapist and um, really just kind of healing from, from word expression. And then also writing writing out what it is that I had experienced, writing out uh, my my situation. So 
all of those different modalities help and they help to increase your your chances of healing really so you got through that you had your experience where you well did you did you fully self-heal through that or was it a bit more you know even to this day there are triggering moments not and i if you're out there and you're a survivor if you're a thriver now and you have gone through those those healing modalities sometimes for me i'll sit in a car and if i'm driving a man in my car sometimes i get apprehensive still my abuser used to push me against the window and punch me and do all kinds of things in the vehicle so sometimes i get triggered but when i do i know how to cope healthily i guess that's not a word i know how to how to use positive coping mechanisms in order to counteract those those feelings so definitely feel through it like oh wow i'm i'm having a a moment right now understand that that's okay you know express yourself feel it and be like i'm okay though you know i'm safe I'm in a safe spot. This person's not going to hurt me. And then it, it passes, right? You give your, yourself that. I like right. what you said, a moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then let that, um, I was speaking with someone who said, when you have something that is triggering you, that is a 16 second sensation. So if you can not re-trigger yourself within those 16 seconds and just pause, give it a little, you know, a, just a little while. It, it will pass 16 seconds. You said that's quite interesting. I'll have to remember. Yeah. That. yeah. Okay. So whoever <laughs> told you that, then I, uh, I'm, I'm stealing it. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, um, it's another podcast that will be coming out soon. So I can Perfect. tag you Perfect. in that. Um, so you finished with that. Well, I don't say finished, but you were processing through that. And how did you, you said you felt called by God to do this yeah. as people started reaching out to you. Tell us, People in the audience at the at your show started reaching out to you? you oh, said? yeah. Oh, yeah. So after I performed every single time, people would come up to me at the show and say, I've experienced this. My cousin, my brother, my sister, my mother, you name it. Right. And I was like, wow, this is so much bigger than I, I could have ever imagined. And I was like, I hear you calling me to do more, but what is that more? So I thought I was going to be working for a nonprofit. So mm -hmm. I started searching for a nonprofit to work for. I became vice president for a nonprofit called YVA. And we uh, worked in Sierra Leone for school kids. That's how I had the connection to Sierra Leone. And uh, I left that organization and then began volunteering on Skid Row in Los Angeles at the- Oh, wow organization called the downtown women's center still love the organization to this day um we actually want to duplicate some of their efforts and and do some of the same programming here in the tampa area tampa florida uh but while i was there you know i'm very outspoken and i was volunteering and i would tell survivors and tell a lot of the women what to do instead of referring them to case management. So, you know, I didn't really get employed there, <laughs> but I was there for about six months and I learned a lot. I ended up flying to Oakland later on that year and uh, interviewing for a nonprofit that worked in Kenya. And I felt God's presence there, but didn't feel like I was supposed to be there. So what happened next was the next day I walked around the streets of San Francisco. This was pre-COVID when it was still safe. 
and ended up eating clam chowder on Pier 39 and having my glass of Chardonnay. And this gentleman came up to me and we started to have a conversation and asked me about who I was. And and then after the, the conversation, he looked at me and he said, you need to start a nonprofit. And what's interesting is I've heard that before in different scenarios, but I never actually said, yes, let's do this. So when I heard that again, I was like, okay, okay, I hear you, God. So then I did and uh, did the paperwork. I remember that that the, the first, the initial um, list of things that I had to get done. And it was, you know, come up with the name and and come up with, you know, this great idea for what this could look like. And uh, it was really creative and beautiful. And I had people kind of help me and give me pointers. And it was awesome. And we were 501c3 within a month. And then I was in Ghana a couple of months later. That is very fast. It is. Yeah. I work, I work, I work quick. You got to think like I ended up leaving my abuser finally for good, uh, 2015. And then I started the nonprofit 2017, began speaking in 2019. And now I I'm honored to coach and help so many individuals be able to tell their stories. It's really, really cool. That's, that is probably what I am most excited about our work in Sierra Leone and seeing those girls who go into the vocational training center. And at first, you know, they're destitute. They have children at 13, 14, 15 years old from sexual abuse and uh, sex, domestic violence and um, being part of the sex industry and being trafficked. And, and then they, they learn this skill, whether it is hairdressing or tie dye and gara um, and then they're able to make money on their own, able to take care of their children. And then here in the U.S., you know, with this book collaboration and the speaking summits, we're giving people platforms to tell their story. It's not Michelle Jewsbury and what Michelle Jewsbury can do. Being a leader is all about how many people you take with you. So it's not about how much money can I make? It's about how much can we collectively do together? And it's it's really amazing seeing this. I mean, the book collaboration called Breaking the Silence, Voices of Survivors, we, it's it's towards the end right now. If, I know uh, uh, podcasts are evergreen. So right now, if you're listening and it may be years later, it's now towards the end of 2023 and we are in the process of publishing our first volume. These authors are so excited to be able to publish their stories. They're now speaking on stages. They are, you know, being interviewed on podcasts. They are sharing their message of hope. And some of these stories are absolutely horrific from cult survivor, suicide and homicide survivors, human trafficking survivors, cancer survivors. There's all kinds of survivors that are now being represented and encouraged to share their stories. So this is this is the beautiful part about what I do. And I know I'm going off on a tangent, but it's it's just wonderful to be able to to share the stage with so many amazing entrepreneurs and 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 success driven people. Not just not just women, men and women. I don't think I've heard of a nonprofit before that does what you're doing. I know there are ones that reach out and help people and extract them from these situations, but to give them a collaborative platform where people can hear stories of people who have overcome mm -hmm. really hard things 
Yeah. And like you said, survive and then thrive and to have a massive gathering of those voices. Cause you know, so often on the news and then everything, we hear all the horror stories, but where do we hear a collection of wonderful uplifting stories where people have gone through hell and come out to heaven and yeah. made their own heaven. And, uh, you know, I run two businesses. So the nonprofit, you know, works in Africa and those resources, of course, are free to those girls. And we fundraise um, the book collaboration. You know, there there's fees to be involved in some of that. But being able to attend the summits and be a part of listening to these survivors stories. I mean, that is that is free. That is something that is amazing and uplifting to to so many people. So that's two separate things then. Yes. Overall. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you do with the girls? Was it Unsilenced Voices that provides that for the girls? For the Oh yeah. So in Sierra Leone, um, we have what's called a sponsor a survivor program. We have girls that go through vocational training. Uh the sponsor a survivor is three dollars and thirty-three cents per day. And that pays for vocational training, training materials, a monthly stipend. It pays for uh, medical and counseling to our girls. We right now currently have 26 girls enrolled in vocational training. We have well over 50 on a wait list. We also help roughly 1,400 people between two villages. Um, we built a cassava processing center with the help of the fixers tv show so that should be airing the end of 2023 the end of this year um so all of that is with the nonprofit here in the u.s we plan to start a day center with wraparound services and emergency housing under unsilenced voices um we want to be global and that is our goal you know we have a mission to be able to serve millions of people worldwide. My biggest goal is actually to get into the Middle East, to go and speak in the Middle East, to encourage women to use their voices, to break out of the, the social norms that are happening. Um, I will probably need to go and cover. I am, if you are listening and not looking, I'm a blonde haired white woman, right? So uh, I'm, I'm definitely not culturally accepted to go and, and cause ruckus. But one of my biggest things is to, is to create this bridge where it's okay for women to have rights and have jobs and, and live a life worth living and they are not being controlled by men. So that is where my goal is, is to hit the Middle East. Um, and then, you know, with the, with the for-profit organization, you know, growing our courses and growing our, our book and uh, being able to provide even more platforms for speaking. <clears throat> you are a very brave woman. Very brave yes. woman. <laughs> Thank you. That is, um, that is a very noble goal. And I think you'll not need a lot of help and yep. a lot of willpower behind that. Yeah, definitely. That that's not just um helping individuals. That's an entire cultural shift that you. It is an for. entire cultural shift. Yes. yes, completely different cultural shift. But there are many people out there who want to see that shift happen. Uh, and now it's just education. Education is key, and it's not the traditional kind of education we're looking to provide. It is education based on morals and values of you know humanity. Well, I think as well, you're going to have to deal with um, 
the enforcement part of it, because a lot of that is enforced physically. Yep, I know. So that will have to come down to, well, in my opinion, I think you'd have to start with the rising generation to teach them that there is a better way to live. The rising generation, then also the elders in the community and encouraging the women elders in the community to start speaking up. And I think that 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 will start to make a huge difference. I think it will. Yeah, that's that's a really good goal. (laughs) I wish you all the best of luck and I'm going to be following along to see the progress that you guys do. Thank you. That will be amazing. Um, So if we were going to give three takeaways for people who are listening to this, what would the top three things that you would want them to know and or do be? Yep. Um, So first of all, never give up, right? Because you may think that you can't overcome or that you can't um, break free from the challenges you've experienced. So never give up. Uh, two, believe in yourself, invest in yourself. So listen to podcasts, listen to books, uh, read books, uh, reach out to people, talk with individuals. But the number one thing that I always like to end podcasts with and interviews with is there is a movie called Finding Nemo. It is a cartoon movie. Uh, However, I love this movie so much specifically for the fish called Dory. Dory swims around and gets lost and is kind of an airhead. Um, But I love her because of what she sings to herself. And the one thing that she always sings is just keep swimming. So I encourage you out there to just keep swimming. You have to continue putting one foot in front of the other, no matter what happens. And in order to reach us, uh, make sure to visit michellejewsbury.com. Again, Michelle Jewsbury, J-E-W-S-B-U-R-Y.com. And for more information about unsilenced voices, you can also go to unsilencedvoices.org. Brilliant. And we will link that below in the show notes so everybody can just click on that easily and find you. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michelle. I think we'll probably have to have you back in about six months and see what's changed and progressed. It's it's a very... I, I really feel connected to your um to your mission. I feel on a similar mission, but in a different venue. But yeah, it's a it's a shift. It's a big a big undertaking, and I hope you guys have the most success with that. I really do. That would be amazing. Well, we've, we've got a uh, we've got an amazing God. So it's yeah. all it's all His work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm.